Well, good morning. Talking about all things new. We got a new screen up there today. It's pretty impressive. It's kind of the old school cafeteria elementary look. I don't know. You can look that up on Howl's. I'm sure they got other things. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Jesus, Jesus Transforming Our Cultural Moment. And today I'm going to talk about human relationships and gender. Yep. <laughs> human relationships and gender. Um, and I know, I mean, in my own heart, and I know probably in your hearts as well, this can be a very tender subject. There's many emotions that are tied to it. There's many personal stories. There's people that we know. There's cultural biases that can pull our hearts from all different directions when we talk about this subject, um, which is all the more reason why we should actually talk about it um, and really discuss what God actually says about this subject. Um, because, um, because our theology, what we believe about God, will always be played out in life. Can you, like, I'm a little bit hot there. Um, our theology will dictate either um, how we're influenced by the culture or how we'll influence the culture. And really I want to say the truth is that the theology of our city, uh, both inside and outside the church, is really plagued by a weak understanding of God. And it leads to woman-centeredness, or man-centeredness, or undeclared-centeredness. It's basically a theology that says God is not big enough, God is not strong enough. He's not wise enough. He's not, um, he's not good enough to handle the realities of our life now. He, he kind of knew some stuff in the past, but 2019, he doesn't understand those things. We have to figure out and we have to define our humanness. We have to find our value and our purpose based on the cultural definition of gender at this moment of time. This is, this is not just an issue, I'd say, that, that we have now, but this has really been an ongoing is, issue of humans throughout history, where every culture, every time period has devised this meaning of what it means to be male, what it means to be female, and then we've placed worth in, in how well you can look like or be what our cultural norm or definition of that gender says about you in that moment. And so I want to just stop, and I want to pray, I want to ask the Spirit to speak to us, to allow us to see into our past stories, into our hurts, into our own biases, um, and to be open to what God wants to say through His Word. Um, that we would we'd be people that truly find our foundation and our purpose in a God-centered theology, not, not, not some other theology of how we would define human relationships. So let me just pray and ask God to do that. Our Father, I pray this morning that your spirit uh, would speak clearly and boldly to our hearts. Father, I pray uh, against the lies of Satan that want to distract and discourage and to take away what you want to do and what you want to say to us. Father, I pray that for myself as well. Father, I pray that you would give me uh, gentleness and humility to share your truth. 
Father, I pray that your truth would sound like good news to our hearts, that we would be people that, that truly want to live in the way that you've designed us to be because it is the best way to live. Father, I pray that you would guide our time and that you would go before us like you already have. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about that this this week and in the weeks past, kind of knowing I was going to talk about this, somehow I keep getting the the not-so-fun subjects. Um, Brad set up the preaching calendar. I don't know how that worked out. He gets the nice, fluffy ones. I get the hard ones somehow. Um, he's going to talk about sex next week, so... It's way better than this, um, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, I think this subject um, can be very polarizing and emotional, I think, because often what happens when we think about gender, um, much of our value and our purpose gets wrapped up in the definitions of our culture. And so uh, as we think about this, I want to begin at the very beginning of the story, um, and I want to begin... Uh, with this kind of statement of purpose or foundation that will hopefully help to, dis- to, to guide our discussion. And it's this. God's ultimate purpose for the universe and for all history is for your life and mine to display his glory. I want us to read that again. God's ultimate purpose for the universe and for all of history, for your life and mine, is to display his glory. Basically, God's ultimate purpose in creating the world and in choosing to let it really become a sinful and broken world is so that the greatness and the glory of Jesus could be put on display at the cross where he brought his rebellious bride at the cost of his life. And I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. And I want to start there. And I know that's the end of the book. Um, and you may think that's the end of the story, but it actually gives insight because it's actually the beginning before the beginning, if that makes sense. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, what's going on is, is, God is God is writing down the names of his children in the book of life. And, and this is what he says in Revelation 13, verse 8. Before the foundation of the world, in the book of life, of the Lamb who was slain. So before the foundation of the world, before anything that we know was created, before God spoke this earth into existence, before God molded humans with his own hands and placed them on this earth, he was writing people's names down in the book of life. So basically, in God's mind, Jesus had already been slain before the creation of the world. This was his plan from the very beginning. Why? Well, Ephesians 1 says, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace. What that means then is the ultimate purpose of creation and redemption is to put the glory of Jesus on display. And the glory of Jesus on display in him purchasing and purifying his bride as we know the church. We need to understand this. We need to, to think about this as we approach looking at, at femininity, as we approach looking at masculinity, as we approach these, these things of gender, that the purpose of hum, humanness is really the ultimate, is to about displaying the glory of Jesus. Because I think what happens is we quickly forget this. 
And when we forget this, we make it about us, we make it about our gender's glory, we make it about anything else rather than the glory of God. Because what happens is if we continue in the story, um, after God writes the names of his children down in the book of life, God then speaks creation into existence. He creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth, and he creates water and he creates land and he creates plants and animals. And he does this in Genesis chapter 1. He says this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. After he makes all those things, God says this in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and after our likeness. and Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every other living thing that moves on this earth. So that's the beginning of time. That's the beginning of what God says about humans. And I want to point out a few things from these verses. Um, The first thing is this, is that each one of humans was actually personally created by God. This is unlike anything else in creation. In verse 26, God said, Let us make man. And if you read further on in the story, we'll see how God actually takes dirt out of clay and he molds man with his own hands and he breathes life into him. And likewise, God does the same thing with woman. He personally creates them and he molds them out of, he molds a woman out of one of man's ribs. This is very unique. If you remember, the rest of creation, the rest of the story was actually just spoken into existence. But here we see God's actually more personally involved in creating humans. It's more personal than just speaking something. He's molding with his own hands and breathing his own life into into them. The detail of this story actually tells us how valuable and how how intentionally he carefully crafted man and woman for his purposes. I want you to hear this and I want you to know this because our culture doesn't say this often is that God actually loves humans. He actually values them more than anything else. All humans were made valuable to God. They're valuable. More valuable than anything else. More valuable than plants or animals or trees or anything else on the earth. Humans were more valuable than the earth itself. In these verses we see also that that humans weren't just personally created by God, but they were made as image bearers of God. He says, let, let us make them in our image after our likeness. Which really is a statement of equality and a statement of significance. That both man and woman are equally significant and equally blessed and commissioned by God to carry out their mission together to glorify God to rule over the lower creation, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. Remember what I said earlier, that the ultimate purpose of creation and redemption is actually to put the glory of Jesus on display by, dis- by purchasing his bride, the church. And so if we, if we apply that truth 
to this part of the story, what that means is that creating humans, male and female, God didn't just look at at humans after the fall and say, you know what, let me make an analogy um, with man and woman. I'll describe my son's salvation to that. It'll be a good analogy for me to say, it's kind of like a husband dying to save his bride. God didn't say that. God didn't come up with that afterwards. He created us male and female precisely so that we could actually display the glory of the Son. Our sexual gender is actually designed for the glory of the Son of God. Especially in the fact of Him dying to save His admiring bride. It's why in Ephesians, um, Paul quotes Genesis 2 that we just read, and he says this, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he adds this, and he says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that refers to Christ and the church. In other words, from the beginning, humans, man and woman, were designed to display the glory of Jesus in his relationship to the church, his bride. I keep saying this because it's important because what that means is the ultimate meaning of male and female is a distinct calling from God to display His glory that would not be displayed if there were not two genders, man and woman. I know that's not what our culture believes often. I may not be popular in saying this, but God is really telling us there is no gender neutrality. There's no gender neutral pronouns. He's saying there was, there's, if there was just a non-gendered person, the glory of Jesus would be diminished in the world. And I know whether or not we believe that, our cultural moment is attempting to take the spotlight off the glory of Jesus and place it on a specific gender. And the truth is our gender is a distinct calling from God to display the glory of His Son in our maleness and our femaleness. God has created us as male and female because there are aspects of Christ's glory which would not have been known if it wasn't reflected in the complementary differences of how man and woman actually interact. And so therefore, true manhood and true womanhood is actually a distinct calling from God to display His glory. A calling of where God would get more glory if, those, if, if they exist. So what that means is true womanhood is actually indispensable in God's purpose to display the fullness of His Son. Likewise, true manhood is indispensable in God's purpose to display the fullness of Jesus. The idea is really, if you try to reduce gender to physical features or biological functions and then determine your role in this world merely based on the competencies of how well you can do those things, You don't just miss out on the point of your sex. You diminish the glory of Christ in your life. That's not a very fun thing to say in this culture. But your distinct female person is not incidental. Your distinct male gender is not incidental. It exists because the God-designed relationship with the very central event in history and mind the event of the death and resurrection of his son. And God made genders, both male and woman, so that they might complement each other and perform 
different roles so that the weakness of each sex would call out the strength of each other. So that we were, we were really created interdependent on each other to accomplish God's purpose of glorifying himself in this world. If you go back and look at verse 26, um, there's a key that I want to make sure that we don't miss. And then make sure that you catch this word. He said, let us make mankind. Let us make mankind. The us here is telling us that humans were made in the image of the Trinity. One God, same essence, three persons, same nature, but different distinct roles. Three people equally valuable. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equally valuable. And so when God creates both man and, and woman, he creates them equally but different in order to display the glory of God in a Trinitarian relationship. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you're going to actually see how this is accomplished. Because God gives each gender a specific role to fill to ensure that his glory is actually revealed to each other and to the world. In Genesis chapter 2, in verses 5 through 6, we see what happens is God actually creates an environment for man to work. And God creates this world, and then he says, we need somebody to work in it. And then in verse 7 and 8, God creates man to do the work. It's this idea that God was actually the provider of the workplace. And in verse 8, it says, the Lord took, uh, uh, the, Lord took the man and put him in the... Garden of Eden, to work it and to keep it. So what we see in this passage um, is that men, one of your roles that God gave you was to actually work. Yep. God is the provider and men are called to work. God has created men in this world so that he might provide work for us and thus through the provision of that work that he's given us, we would care for other people. The problem is that when we think about work, our idea of work has been so jacked up that when many men actually look at work, that we just look at it as something we have to do in order that we can play later on. So we can take a vacation, or so that we can retire, or we can have buy the toys that we want. But God is, God's intent was that we would work in order that we would participate in an activity that would actually bring him glory that we would participate by reflecting his image and provide the necessities of life for others. I want to say very strongly, if you're sitting around playing video games all day, or sitting around waiting to get discovered, or just sitting around not working, that's not the image of God that he designed you for. He designed you to work, and that's betrayed in the world around us. Men hear this as well. This is, it's not a curse to work. Remember, these verses here are actually pre-fall. This is, this is before, um, before the world is broken. We were created to work. Work being hard now is actually just an evidence that the world is actually full of sin, that the world is actually broken. It's an evidence of the curse. I know, ladies, I started with men, but... Uh, you're not off the hook. Um, sorry. Um, because God created them first, that's where we need to start. Um, but the Bible never states that, that women should not work either. In fact, it seems to state the opposite. 
In verses 18 through 25, we see that God um, gave man a helper suitable for him and the work. The woman is made as a, as a suitable helper for man in his new job. In Proverbs 31, we see this description of, of a woman who is an excellent woman, and she's a woman who works very hard and is very industrious and is who's someone who's working and caring for others herself. Just to be clear here, I know this word helper is, is a very negative word at times in our culture, and it, it's a, it seems like a less than word. Um, and if I'm honest, oftentimes many Christians have even fallen into that lie and have interpreted this word helper incorrectly. And then they've degraded and lessened the value of women. And that's not true. That's not what Scripture is talking about here. In the Bible, actually, the term helper is the same word used for Holy Spirit. I know you were telling Casey that just a second ago. <laughs> I seen you like giving him the elbow. <laughs> I've said this before, but we should say it again, right? The term helper is used for Holy Spirit. It's not lesser. It's not a less powerful role. And biblical Christianity has a very high view of women. And if you know anything about the Holy Spirit, you will know that you and I are powerless to do anything without His prompting, without His leading, without His guiding, without His empowering. We're helpless without it. We're helpless without the Holy Spirit. And we're told to ask for more of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus did nothing in his life or his ministry without the Holy Spirit. Ladies, if that's the role God has given you as helper, it's not only just a tall task, it's an invaluable one. It's a pretty awesome job. I mean, maybe if we said instead of helper, we just substituted Holy Spirit, right, in in those passages, I'm sure that we'd probably be less likely to look down on that. We'd be less likely to to think that, that... that, that this is some lesser role. And maybe men would be less likely to, to degrade that. Right? We would be looking for more of that kind of help in our life. We would actually value women and hold them at a high regard. That's what really truly biblical Christianity is about. That's what the church is about. The distinction given here in work is that man is actually given the primary responsibility to ensure provision for his family. Man was created first and given the job before a woman. And if we look at the curse for for disobeying God, it really touches the sphere of man's responsibility. That the ground that he's now working from and farming against will work against him. This really goes back to, to God's plan for headship. Um, that God made man um, to lead as the head. That headship is, I know is another whole other can of worms, but headship is, is a divine calling of man to take on the primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership and protection and provision of the family. That men... We're called to lead by serving and sacrificing and not demanding to be served. We see this from the very beginning of the story where woman was actually taken out of man. Man had to sacrifice a rib for her. And then Jesus comes and does the same thing. And in Luke 22, he says, the greatest men of these are those who serve and sacrifice. And then Jesus goes and makes the ultimate sacrifice by laying down his life as the head of all mankind. 
And thus, when we submit to the headship of Jesus, we now get to fall under his reign and under his rule and under his protection as the family of God. It's why after the fall, God goes to the man first and talks to him first. It's why we see all throughout Scripture that we are in Adam and that we all die. That Adam was our head and what he did actually affected all of us. Headship implies this idea of responsibility for the, for the family. So men, single or married, your role is actually to take responsibility not just for yourself but for others. To be submissive, spiritual leaders of Christ who would lead others to see Jesus and that would, that would, that would see Jesus as your ultimate authority. That as you submit to Christ, then you would lead others to submit to Christ. Here's the problem. We don't live in a pre-fall world anymore, do we? And at the fall, man, woman, gender was unmade. And now we're now as men, we we have we have dominated. We've oppressed women. There's so many examples of that in our in our culture of, of lesser pay or sexual trafficking or physical abuse, or only valuing a woman's body on how she looks. Religions have taken this to extremes. Mormonism, Islam hold women as lesser value and they need men to get to God. There are so many ways as men that we have done this to women. That we have put them down. That it was broken at the fall. And we need to own those things and we need to make sure that we care about those things. But men, we're not the only ones that have done this. Women now do the same things. Out of the wrongs that were done to them as a way of justice, they now try to dominate and undo the value of men. Our culture tells us if something has happened to us, that now, because of that story, we get to just do whatever we want in justice, in our idea of justice. And that's not true. That's not true. Maybe, well, what are some ways women do this now? What are some ways that this happens? Men or women, what are ways that we do this to one another? Happening now, uh, uh, kind of a reversal. 
Okay, yeah, we lie to one another and we try to say that like I'm more valuable by the amount of people that I can get on my little card. Yeah, good. Miles. Yeah, we often take the opposite sex and use them for what we want to fulfill in ourselves. The things that we think that we're missing or the things that we, how we can hold them into this brings us value. Yeah, good. Are this way instead of encouraging like, in the 
Yeah, we we know where the we know where to strike, don't we? Yeah. Um, I don't get you. Yeah, I don't know if there's any TV shows that actually has a man actually leading well in his home. I don't know if I know one from, like, ever in my entire life. I'm going to get you right here, then I got you. We, it used to be a sexualization of women. Now there's a sexualization of men, right? Even like the the ads and all those things now. Steve. more concerned with, with injustice than restoration, yeah. Yeah, we're looking to validate ourselves often, Jeff. Yeah, it definitely spins itself into so many different categories of life, and then we live out of that that's just spin out of something else. I saw somebody over here. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm a leadership coach, so it's just that's the, the lens that I tend to come from, and what I see most is, like, isolation. Hmm. Just, like, people alone, and they're just, and, like, people with money, and people with power, and people with responsibility, but this topic among several around racial identity and identities that <clears throat> overshadow our 
who God made us to be, really just creates this, which Jeff was just getting to, like just this incredible fear and breakdown of connection of other humans, which is like zap tactics of the enemy to isolate and put you alone so that he can attack you faster and kill you sooner, whether it's spiritual or emotional or physical death. And it's 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 so much bigger than like even this one topic. It's like the literal tactic of the enemy to like bring people into the world. It's if I can get everyone alone by themselves. And it's it's heartbreaking the level like we look at people who are in power and we think so many sorts of things, but the brokenness is unreal I and mean, the isolation. Um, it's, for many, it's unbearable. And it's it's a re- it's there every day, 24-7, all the time. Um, pushing further, being pushed further and further away into reclusion, isolation, being reclusive, and just not wanting to connect with others out of fear of all the things people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Our isolation now has become like the ultimate peace. Yeah, for sure. That's so well said. I think really I'm going to go on because um, I want to make sure the kids don't go crazy outside. Um, and we care for well for the teachers too. Um, but really, I want to say this. At the fall, gender was unmade. And now we declare ourselves Um, even when we declare ourselves genderless or a specific gender, basically we're saying, I can do it on my own. I can be isolated. I can live in isolation. I'm empowered to live by myself. And whether we know it or not, when we do that, we're actually trying to image ourselves rather than image God. We're trying to image God on our own, which is impossible And this has led, as we just started this, just open up this little bit of can right here, that there's so much brokenness and there's so much hurting in the world between each other. Because just like Adam and Eve, we're not living in accordance to how God originally made us. You see, in the garden, Adam was given authority um, in God's word, but he, he really abdicated his leadership, didn't he? He abdicated his leadership to Eve and to the servant. He, he let the serpent undermine God's authority and his spiritual authority by letting Eve be the spiritual leader in that moment. And the reason why the serpent goes to Eve um, is, is not because she was weaker or because she would be um, easier to like receive his lies or something like that. That's, that's a lie that people have said. The serpent going to Eve is actually just undermining God's authority and what God has set up how God had set it up the created order. And he undermines God's um, authority by, by trying to thwart his, the, the authority that God placed on Adam. He's undermining God's structure. And Satan keeps continuing to do that over and over and over. It's a pattern that he's continuing to undermine God's authority. It's really the reason why he got kicked out of heaven in the first place. Right? That he was trying to undermine God's authority. The good news in all of that is Jesus has actually defeated Satan at the cross. And at the resurrection, there's gonna, there, Jesus has defeated that, and there's going to come a day when Jesus is going to completely crush the head of, the, of Satan's authority in this world, and he's going to establish a new headship the way God always intended it. But until that day, God is calling and empowering men through his spirit to actually be humble leadership. To, to, to be an equal image barrier, not superior, not better, 
just a different role as the head. And maybe just be clear, if I haven't said this already, I'm going to say it again. Man is not better. They're just different. Woman is not better. They're different. Please see at the fall here that, that the serpent tempting Eve was, she was, he was not just tempting her with the fruit. He wasn't just saying, doesn't this fruit look good? He was tempting her with the opportunity to, to undermine God's order, to usurp God's authority. And what happened is Eve stepped up to take Adam's place where Adam should have led. And I want to say, godly women, like you need to be aware of your tendency to overtake the roles of men. I know that's, that may, may be a hard word to, to, to hear, but it may be your husband's role, it may be the role of men within the family of God. See, at the fall, Adam failed to take his role and protect. Right? Adam was right there with Eve. He wasn't like standing somewhere else. And he did nothing. He did nothing to step in and to protect. And I want to say this kind of activity still happens to us men all the time. You and I are not protecting women the way God called us to. Men, we cannot just stand by and watch women be deceived, be degraded, be disrespected, and be used. I mentioned this earlier, but really, a godly man is someone who actually stands up, who actually speaks up, who who leans into the cultural issues and actually protects women. And on the other side of that, ladies, you need to be careful not to be so self-reliant. At the fall, Eve did not turn to her husband. She didn't turn to him for protection. Instead, she went it alone. And that's one of the tendencies of women that uh, who are not protected well, um, who have been who have been taken advantage, um, will remove themselves from other godly men and leaders who who would actually care and protect them. And we need to listen to that. We need to we need to be aware of that. That that ladies, I want to call you to and to understand that that there are men within this family, that godly men who actually care, and actually will give you advice. And who actually will, will point out and look at things differently than you look at them. And they'll give you a perspective. And we need to care for one another in those ways. We need to be listening to each other in those ways. I think another piece that was broken at the, at the fall was really this avoidance of conflict. This may be a little bit of speculation, but um, it doesn't seem to show up in the story anywhere. Adam doesn't seem to like argue with his wife about it. He doesn't argue with the serpent. No, that's not what God says. He, I think he just avoids it. He avoids any conflict by hiding. We see him do that later on. They're both hiding after this. And you think we need to be aware of this issue that often as a church in our culture, the church is really full of a bunch of people who would actually rather give in to what they know is wrong or what they don't believe in or what they don't agree with in order to avoid conflict in life, to avoid being seen as unloving. It's not politically correct to say anything. We're not allowed to give our own opinions. We really can't say anything about that. 
And deep down inside, we know the truth and we're hiding. And I want to say that's not only cowardly, but it's selfish. And it's wanting to protect yourself. True love actually speaks truth graciously and stands up for what is right. Regardless of the pain or hardship that you and I might have to endure for lovingly speaking the truth in how we image God. Because as the church, we're called to image Jesus. And if you look at the, the New Testament and read the story of Jesus, what he did was actually he spoke into the sins of the culture. And then he lovingly sacrificed himself so that they might see God. He knew the cost and he continued to speak into it. But the problem is that just like the fall, too often men and women are living kind of in this cover-up mode. We're hiding behind a, a fig leaf. We're hiding behind our true selves or whatever image we want to make, whether it's performance or career or looks or possessions or gender identification. We're, we're hiding and we're trying to cover something up. I want to speak to each of you. Men, if you are trying to cover up something, you will not stand spiritually or live in love or lead because you are afraid and you'll be more committed to protecting your hidden life. And women, women's, women, however you want to say that, if you're trying to live in a cover-up, you're going to be unwilling and afraid to actually entrust yourself to someone who actually loves and leads you because you're going to be afraid of being found out and rejected. And we both live often in shame. Men, please do not submit to your sinful passions. Please see at the fall that Adam gives in to his wife's leadership and often men were led astray by ungodly women, were led astray by men who are pretending to be a gender they're not. Men, do not fall into the desire to just please anyone at all costs. Love does not do whatever someone else wants. Love denies self and does what is right and does what is God's best. And a godly man will actually submit to the Spirit by not giving in temptation no matter what he or she looks like. And he will actually take on conflict in his heart in the power of the Spirit and walk in a new way that images God in this world that we haven't seen in a long time. Women, I want to say this to you. Likewise, don't submit yourself to sinful passions or persuasions. Eve was persuaded by the serpent to look to the serpent for spiritual guidance or to look to the serpent instead of direction from her true head. And women all over the place are being persuaded by ungodly men, are being persuaded by ungodly women to submit to their lives in many ways that we've talked about, whether that's sexually or whatever it may be. Oftentimes, women in this culture will tell you to try to find your identity in something outside of God. Our culture will tell all of us to find our identity in who we sleep with or who you're attracted to or, or what femininity means or what masculinity means. And God is calling us to live in a life that's different than that. 
In Scripture, we see that the falling into those things is often called being led astray by wolves. Where we, if you ever know how wolves hunt, one wolf tries to like get the animal like away, and then the pack comes and jumps on them. And that's what happens in our culture all the time. As humans, really the only way to actually live in the lies of our culture and the lives of what, what we've just talked about is actually confession. It's actually, as the church, as the people of God, we need to actually create safe places for both men and for women to come out of hiding so that God will be seen as gracious of who he is. That we would not shift blame to others or our circumstances or our culture or even to God but that we would honestly actually own our own doing and our own sin in these things before God, that no one is innocent, actually. We have all used gender to shine our own glory on ourselves and on humans. Every one of us. We need to be people who would actually confess our failures, that we would actually believe that Jesus is the only one who can actually remake us, and actually restore us and restore all of our gender brokenness. Because the good news is that Jesus actually accomplished what Adam and no other man could do. Jesus actually perfectly submitted to the Father's will. He did the work the Father sent him to do. Jesus didn't wait for for us to fix up our lives. He didn't wait for us just to come to him to ask him something. Instead, Jesus actually took initiative. He came to the earth, and he actually loved us while we were still opposed to him. Jesus went through all the same temptations of culture that we face. There is nothing new under the sun that we're facing that hasn't been happening for thousands of years prior to us. Philippians 2 said that even though he he faced all those things, He didn't give in to them. It tells us that even though he was God, he did not consider his equality with God something to be held on to. Instead, he became a humble servant and sacrificed for you and for me. That although you and I are actually the culpable ones for sin and death and destruction, Jesus took responsibility for what we have done and bore our sins on his own body on the cross. He didn't blame God He didn't blame God for us. He didn't blame us. He actually took the blame himself. And by taking the blame, he rescued us from sin and death and destruction. And through his death and now resurrection, he provides new hope. And and Jesus not only does that, but he sends the Holy Spirit to give new birth. Jesus was actually fruitful and multiplied. Jesus' fruitful and multiplied offspring that you and I are now actually God's own children called to fill the earth with his dominion. That if you are in Jesus, you now have been united with him as his beloved bride, a bride that is completely loved, a bride who is Jesus preparing for his wedding day. And Ephesians 5 says he's washing her with, um, with the word of God so that she will be a beautiful, holy, and pleasing and praiseworthy bride. 
so that we really, as the church, would submit our lives fully to him because he gave up his life for us. Because of that good news, we now actually get to boldly approach God's throne. We get to approach God's throne in times of need as we eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus to actually finish the restoring work. Restoring men and women back to the way he actually designed us to be. Because the good news is that for all eternity, men and women will actually once again bring God glory by living perfectly and valuing one another the way God values them. Please don't settle for wimpy theology when it comes to gender. God is too good for that. God is too great for that. True gender is too strategic. Don't waste it. Your true womanhood, your true manhood, you are made for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's live a life that actually gives God glory, that he's actually due in this city, where we would actually live with God's opinion as the highest value. We get to now point others to God by revealing our need of him. We get to boldly and wisely walk and speak and talk to others about the truth of who God is. Because the good news is the future is not female. As you may see on t-shirt, the future is not male. The future is Jesus. And he's above gender. He is a spirit. And we get to now live in the image of Jesus together imaging him by valuing one another and caring for one another and actually living in the roles that God has given us and not degrading those other things. And we get to be a people who actually live that way and call other people into it and boldly and speak the truth of them so that they won't continue to live in a lie and be deceived, but actually live perfectly the way God called them to. I don't know if we ever live perfectly, but we get to live in a way that we image God together. And so we get to now live outside of gender defining us because we're defined by what God says about us. We get to live outside of what our culture says about us because we get to live defined by what Jesus says about us. We get to be a people who love God. Our Father, we thank you that, um, that you loved us, that you made us each unique, that you value us, that you made us significant in your eyes and that you guide us. Father, pray that we would walk in your ways, that we together would see how ultimately um, and strategically you have made us so that we would bring you more glory. Father, I pray that we would continue to walk in these things. Father, I pray that you would continue to teach us how to do those things. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.